0: you're listening to the Avenue Church podcast. Our desire is that this message will inspire you to encounter Jesus and find a better way to do life. For more info and to connect with us, visit us online at theavenuechurch.com. Thanks for listening. glad to be here today. Excited to be able to talk to you. Love this tech stuff. I think tech is great. Uh, Online, those of you are online, love the fact that you can join us online and you can hit a button on your app. Love all of that. In fact, all summer while I was going on sabbatical, I did church online. And while I love the fact that we can reach people all over, I just want to tell you there's nothing like being in the room with other people worshiping God. That is so important. So if you live anywhere close to this area, some of you aren't. Feeling safe yet to come back to church. But that's why we're doing the Welcome Back series. We want to encourage you to come back into the buildings and in us and here in Waxahachie because there's something about watching us worship together. I have a wonderful uh, view back here. I hide in the shadows and I watch you worship while I worship. And I just love. It's a whole different experience when you're in the room, am I right? So those of you in the room, we want to encourage people to continue to come back. While we love all of the technology, let's not forget that gathering together does something for us. That's true community. And so we want to encourage you to do that. During the series, we've had some exciting times. A couple weeks ago, we preached and talked about following God in obedience, and 66 people came forward and followed God in baptism. What an exciting, exciting day. Uh, lots of stories, but one story that I really love, we were here in the Waxhatchee campus, we were done, everybody was leaving, everybody was walking out, we were talking about how great a day it was, and all of a sudden a young man stood up, fully dressed, cowboy boots, hat, walked forward, and said, I gotta get baptized, And before we could say anything, he jumped in, cowboy boots, pants, shirt, everything, and was just baptized right there at that moment. And I thought that that is just so exciting to see people so burdened with being obedient. Now, for those of you new to our church, salvation is not found in baptism. We don't believe that. We believe it's the first step in obedience to God. And it's so exciting. To see people take that first step. Then last week, Pastor Alan Rogers was able to come and share a story. We all know Pastor Alan is the most loved pastor we have in the church. We get that, no problem. <laughs> we love what he does with recovery, and and you heard an incredible story. Today we're going to continue in, in the book of Malachi. Uh, we're going to continue that story, and I just wanted to kind of. Thank you for letting me be gone again last week. And some of you are like, didn't you just get back from sabbatical? Why in the world were you gone again? I don't know how many of you remember this, but 2020 was quite a mess. Anybody? Anybody remember 2020? Wasn't it a mess? So what happened in the original sabbatical in 2019, we paid for all of these trips. And then 2020 happened. And so all of those trips had to be done before the end of the year, and so it's just been a madhouse. And so I went to Hawaii, but it wasn't just vacation. I went to Hawaii because I was going to meet a biological aunt. For those of you who knew at the Avenue, about three years ago, I found out that I'm actually, by blood, a Koliani, not a Brown. Surprise. Uh, My whole life, people said, are you Italian? I was like, of course not. I'm not Italian. I'm, you know, from South Louisiana. That's where my dad's from. And so when I found out, I had a a sister who reached out to me through uh, the Ancestry DNA. And and so we reached out and she said, listen, we're we're related. So I thought, uh uh-oh, my dad had a child out of wedlock. My dad had a child nobody knows about. He had a secret child. Well, come to find out, my mom had a child. (laughs) Not the way she was supposed to with my dad. So, all that to say, don't spit in the tube unless you want to know. Do not spit in that tube. So, all of a sudden, I have this new family. And so, I wanted to know about that family as much as I could for a lot of reasons. I've been getting unneeded colon scopes for quite a while because of family history. Thank you, Dr. Powell, for all of those. I appreciate that so much. Uh, And so, I needed to know some things about my family history. And so I went to visit an aunt who's 86 years old. She is actually the sister of my biological father. And quite a visit it was. I I can't share all of it, but I'll just share a little bit of it. I don't know how much is genetics, but this woman is me unfiltered 100%. (laughs) She said things, and I didn't, I just, I was in shock. It was so fun. I mean, she's so real, so authentic. And so she's talking, and we're, we're explaining how my mom died. And, and my mom died because she smoked uh, cigarettes every day from the time she was 17 years old. She had lung cancer, and she died. And, and the aunt looked and goes, oh, I've never smoked cigarettes. I only smoke marijuana. I thought, yeah, back when you were young. Oh, because she goes, no, did you not see the plants that we were growing? (laughs) So I'm going to be real careful if my aunt ever sends me cookies. I'm just going to say that right up front. Just very interesting to see the personality and to see some of the qualities and characteristics that apparently just are handed down by your DNA. And so that was an incredible time and an incredible visit. But I'm ready to get back into Malachi. I want you to jump in with me. There's some things to catch you up on. remember, Malachi is the last book written, the last letter written to God's people before Jesus comes back. There's going to be a 400-year gap. And Malachi is writing to the people of God who are disillusioned with him. They're disillusioned with God. They're upset. Their economy is horrible. They're financially unstable. The other nations around them are coming against them and have them under their thumb. There is heartache and hurt. And the people of God are doing the things that they think they're supposed to do. They're going through the motions of religion And so here they are. They show up every Sabbath. They've built the temple. When it comes time to make a sacrifice or an offering, they give the offering. And then they're looking, going, God, where are you in this? How come you're not taking care of us? Why are we still financially unable to take care of ourselves? Why are we under this oppression? God, where are your blessings that you promised? And so, God, being a good father, begins to write and say, let me explain some things quickly. First of all, I want you to know above everything else, I love you. First thing the Father wants to say to the people of God is, I love you. But now let's sit down and have a family meeting. You're disillusioned with me. Have you ever been in a situation where you thought you were completely right and then all of a sudden somebody showed you something and you weren't right at all? Anybody been in that situation? If you haven't been in that situation, you might want to do a little life check. Because I guarantee you, you've been in that before. Well, the children of God, as God came down and said, I love you, I'm a good father. You think that you are disillusioned with me. You think I haven't kept my part in this deal. Let's have a family meeting and let's look at this a little closer. So he gathers his family together and he says, listen, I want you to hear this. I love you, but we need to get some things straight your priorities are out of whack. Your priorities are not what they need to be. You with your mouth are saying that yes, you are obedient and yes, you are following, but your life is showing me something very different. And so he pulls them together. And in Malachi 2, he begins with, do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? Why do you profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the temple the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign God. As for the man who does this, whoever it may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord. Now, this is what he's saying. He gathers them together and he says, listen, there's a covenant between you and I. Now, we don't understand covenant as much as we understand contract. But a contract and a covenant are two very different things. Most of us are familiar with contracts. You sign a contract when you get your iPhone. You sign a contract when you get on Facebook. You sign a contract when you buy a car, buy a house. You sign contracts all the time. Some of you in business deals have signed contracts. In a contract, there's one thing you want. The very best deal. Am I right? You want to negotiate the very best deal for yourself. And when someone breaks a contract... It's off. It's gone. There's repercussions. There's legal problems. You can't break a contract. Now covenant, God says, I'm not in this. You see, they were treating God like there's this contract. God says, no, no, this is a covenant. This is different. A covenant is relationship. A covenant is you are in one relationship with God. God is so incredible. And I love this book because it shows the realness of God. It shows the authenticity of God. Last week, I left the verse that I didn't have to cover with Alan. That verse said, You have dung on your face. I love that. We use the word dung. That's not the Hebrew word that was used, it was something quite different, which I'll just leave it to your imagination. But God is real. And God is real with us. And this covenant, he says, I want to be real with us, but you got to be real with me. This is a two-way street. In this covenant, when you break this covenant, there is grace. When you break this covenant, there's forgiveness. But this covenant exists. And if you will do these things, then I will bless you in this covenant. But you're not keeping it. You're not following it. He goes on and he begins to help us understand this is what the covenant is. You have made a covenant with me that I am first. You shall have no other gods before me. I'm to be first in your life, God says. The most important relationship in your life is to be one with God. Now, everyone who's ever heard even one sermon in their whole life knows that, right? What is your first priority? Everybody says, God. Our second priority, God begins to outline. He did this in this passage. Our second priority is our spouse. God believes in marriage. God believes in that covenant. He says you have a covenant between each other and that spouse is to be the second most important thing in your life. He says third. Third. Children. Your children are going to be the third most important thing. In your life. And then he says, fourth, your job, your work. It's to be fourth. That's way down here. Now we get it all mixed up, don't we? In fact, a lot of us in this room, a lot of us listening, a lot of us in this, work is number one in our life. Work is number one. And I want you to see what Satan does. Work is number one in our life. Our children are number two in our life. Our spouse is number three in our life. And God may be four. Maybe. Satan turns it right upside down. Now your order may be different, but this is the only order that works. And every one of you in this room would say, yes, I agree with that. God first. Amen. Praise God. God first. Other second. Myself last. We all have a bumper sticker. We have some magnet on our TV or our refrigerator. (laughs) We have it and we say it all the time. And these people that God is writing to, they said the same thing. If you ask them, is God first? Of course, God's first. We built the temple. Of course, God's first. We have a wall around Jerusalem. Of course, God's first. We show up on the Sabbath. Of course, God's first. We make sacrifices and offerings. But see, God the good father is sitting in the family meeting going, let's examine that. Let's be real. Am I first in your life? Am I first in your life? You're saying, I am. But what are your true priorities? And then he hits them really hard. And I'm going to let this passage hit you really hard. Because everyone says, yes, God is first. He goes on in verse 7. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees. You've not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord, Lord Almighty. But you ask, how can we return? Then he says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse. The whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring that first tenth into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And so he hits them right where they are. And let's be honest, he hits you right where you are. God is first in my life. Do you bring the whole tithe to the storehouse? is God first in your life? Let's check your banking account. You sure first in your life in Amazon? You sure first in your life in hobbies? You sure first in your life is not a house or a car you can't afford? God hits it right there. And I I just want to leave that there for you to understand because it's more than this. And I'm going to get into the other things. It's more than this. Some of you give. But God's still not first in your life, and we'll address that. But He starts with this: If you're not giving the first tenth, don't pretend like I'm your priority. I am not. Whew! So the children of Israel listened to this and went, "What?" But then the good father continues, and he says, "Now listen to me, please. Test me in this. I understand how much faith you put in your finances, in your wealth, but test me in this. If." You will do this. I will throw open the floodgates of heaven. I'll pour out so much blessing, there's not room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before that's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed and yours will be a delightful land. He says, I get this, but if I'm going to be first in your life, show me first with your wealth. Second, he continues. Now, because some of you, you give. You're faithful. It's on automatic draft. You don't even see it. But that doesn't mean he's first. He goes on and he asks, her, am I first in serving? Are you serving? Are you looking for places to give yourself to? Are you serving in this church, in the church you're in? Are you serving other people or do you just show up? See, because people Malachi was writing to just showed up on the weekend. They didn't serve each other. They didn't care for each other. They didn't love on each other. They just showed up. And God said, that's not putting me first. If you want to put me first, you need to be serving. He goes on and he says, if you want to put me first, you need to be worshiping. You need to truly be worshiping me. Are you worshiping when you come into this room or are you watching? He says, if I'm first, you're worshiping me. And not just on the weekend, you're worshiping me all week long. What are you doing in your life to show that I'm worthy of your worship? Are you giving me the first of your day? Are you praying? For some of you, the only time you pray is when you're almost getting a car wreck on 35 or with your kids. Are you praying? Is he the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? Are you speaking with him? Listen, this is a a reality check, folks. God is being real authentic with you. He's saying, listen, you can say all day that I'm first in your life, but if you're not doing these things, if you're not giving, if you're not serving, if you're not worshiping, if you're not praying, if you're not caring for others, I'm not first. So don't be surprised when I'm not blessing you. Don't be surprised when things are hard. Don't be surprised when you feel like your prayers are going to the ceiling and coming back. Don't be surprised about these things if I'm not first in your life. He continues. <clears throat> he goes on. He starts talking about that second relationship. He starts talking about our spouses, our families, our marriage. God believes in marriage. He believes in marriage and we'll see in a minute the reason he believes in marriage so much is says as a good father, he wants you to produce grandchildren which become his children. He says, I desire godly children and the best way for me to have godly children is to have godly parents raise godly children. So that second priority is to be our spouse. Now, Malachi just wrote to the men. Now, he wrote to the men because in this day and time, women had absolutely no rights whatsoever. A woman couldn't divorce her husband for any reason and if she was caught cheating on her husband, they put her to death. So, The problem wasn't the women in this. Now today, equal rights, equal blame. But in this day, it was only the men. And so Malachi's writing the men and he's saying, listen, you need to hear this. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary of the Lord by marrying women who worship a foreign God. Now, in the United States of America, we are completely inclusive of everyone and everyone's a child of God and it really doesn't matter but that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is very exclusive. People don't like that. But the kingdom of God says there's one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ, the Son. All roads do not lead to eternity. Only one road leads, and it's very narrow. And he says, if you're on that path, I want you to walk that path with someone who believes like you believe. Now, I know you're going to win them over. When I was a youth minister, I had girls all the time They did what I called missionary dating. I'm going to win them to Jesus. But you know, they were never trying to win the nerdy guy. They were always trying to win the captain of the football team that was really good looking. So I kind of had some ideas about their motivation. But he says, listen, I don't want you unequally yoked. Because I want you to raise these godly kids. And how can you raise godly kids if you're pulling them in opposite directions? You need to be equally yoked. You need to be believers together in this. And so if you're dating someone right now and they're not a follower of Christ, you should not be dating them. You should not be with them. Because <clears throat> God wants you walking. Now, I'm not talking about Baptist and Methodist and Catholic. Come on. People are like, oh, well, they're... listen, if you married a Baptist, I'm sorry. Because they can't dance and they can't drink enough to be able to dance. And so you're just out of luck. But that's not what God's talking about here. He's talking about people who have a different faith, a different belief. They don't follow the God that you follow. And so the first thing he says is marry inside your faith. And then it gets a little more personal. He says, man, you're cheating on your wives. You're cheating on your wives. Now listen to this. If you're cheating on your wife, it says another thing you do. You are flooding the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings and accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It's because the Lord is a witness between you and the wife of your youth. You've been unfaithful to her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Again, covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Well, but my wife hasn't fulfilled her contract. My wife hasn't done the things that she needs to do. My wife is not there for me. My wife is not provided for me. My wife is not intimate with me. And so she broke the contract. So it's a covenant, not a contract. In a covenant is I will do everything I can for you. Whether you do for me or not. In a covenant, I'm looking out for your best interest. In a covenant, you hurt me, I forgive. Now, this goes for men and women. Remember, equal rights, equal blame. So you ladies are part of this now. And you wonder why God is not blessing you. You wonder why God's not answering your prayers. You wonder why things are so hard. You're not living the life that God has called you to live. Your spouse is not the most important relationship next to him. He says, until that works, your priorities are not right. It says they're bringing offerings, but I'm not answering because you've been unfaithful. And then he goes on to a verse you all have probably heard and heard it wrong. So I want to kind of explain it. He says, first of all, you're marrying outside your faith. Second of all, you're being unfaithful. Third of all, you're divorcing your wife. And I hate that. God says, I hate divorce. So the man who divorces his wife Does violence to the one he should protect. Be on guard and do not be unfaithful. Now I want to slow down right here. Because I don't want you to mishear me. God hates divorce. But not the divorcee. Can you hear that? The church for a long time got that wrong. The church for a long time made people who had gone through a divorce feel like they were second class, believe that they could never serve. That's not what God says. God doesn't hate the divorcee. God hates divorce. Why does he hate divorce? He knows what it does to you, but more importantly, he knows what it does to your kids. That's why he hates it. He allows it because of our hearts and because of this covenant and the broken trust. He allows it and there's all kinds of circumstances and he forgives it and he moves on, but he hates it because it does damage to you and your children. Am I right in that? Have you lived that? I haven't met many people who after a year after being divorced didn't regret it. So if you're on that verge today and you're thinking about divorce, listen, marriage is so important. That's why at the Avenue Church we focus on merge before you get married. We take you through eight weeks of training. We have reengaged to help you reengage in this covenant and learn what this covenant is because marriages are so important, not just for you, but for those beautiful children. God knows that. He says, first, God, second, your spouse, then your kids. Now, let me point out to mainly the ladies. Third, not second, definitely not first. Now, I know the mothers in here, the mothers listening, the mothers in this especially, you check mothers, oh my gosh, you love your kids. You wanna get a mother mad, you say something about their kid, am I right? And they put those kids, but listen, if you put your kids above your spouse, God can't bless you or he won't bless you. But you don't know my spouse. Yeah, I do. He's the moron you married. He didn't get dumber. But you married him. He's to be second. He's to be above your children. You're to meet his needs before your children's needs. And for some of you ladies in this room, that is equal. That is the hardest thing you can imagine. What do you mean I have to meet his needs? Do you know why more baby boomers are divorcing than any other? Uh, age group? Because baby boomers' moms knew how much they love their kids and they put their kids above their spouse. Then all of a sudden their kids move out and they look at each other and they're strangers. So put your kids. Third, date your spouse. Go out with your spouse. Do vacations with your spouse. There's some of you here that are listening that have not been alone with their spouse since they had children and God is not going to bless that. Priorities, God, spouse, children, and then for many of you, and especially men, your job. Your job. Most men, first question after the name is what? What do you do for a living? What do you do? Our identity is based on what we, what we do, what we do, what we do. And the problem in our world is if you work overtime, if you stay in the office till it's dark, if you get up before everyone else, if you work on the holiday weekend, they are applauding you with everything. You are truly a man that knows how to work. You are providing for your family. You are successful. You are climbing that ladder. You are doing all this. And you get congratulated and applauded. But if you're failing at home, you don't, it doesn't matter what you do at work. See, there are so many men that go to work and they succeed, but they're failing in the house. And we need men who will succeed in the house. Then God will bless the work. So listen to me. If you have to cheat work or family, cheat the job. Cheat the job. The job is not going to be at your funeral. They could care less. They'll find another person to put in your place. But in your family, you're the only father. You're the only husband. You're the only grandparent, father. You've got to understand why God put this all in priority for each and every one of us. He wants to make it very clear in this family meeting. He says, you're disillusioned with me. You're upset with me. Know that I love you, but we need to get this straight. Your priorities are not in the right order. And until you get those priorities in the right order, I'm not going to bless you because I'm not going to bless you doing this wrong. I'm not going to bless this covenant if you're doing it wrong. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to love you and I'm going to continue to love you. But you got to put it in the right order. Remember, I told you in the beginning, this is the last word written to God's people before Jesus comes back. There's a very important reason for that. For 2,000 years, God has had this covenant. For 2,000 years, the people of God have failed him in this covenant. For 2,000 years, they haven't kept their priorities. For 2,000 years, they haven't kept the covenant. They keep failing over and over and over and over and over. And so in Malachi chapter 3, he begins to explain why you keep falling. You keep falling over and over and over. Maybe I'm talking about you today in your life. You keep failing over and over and over and you have the same sin that keeps coming up day in and day out and you make promises that you're never going to do this again and you find yourself in the same situation. Everything you do seems to crumble. Everything you do falls to the ground and you work so hard like these people. People. You can't live the Christian life without a savior. And God is beginning to show him. He says, listen, you can't do this. I understand. I have gone through this to show you that you need something outside yourself. You need something more than yourself. He says in chapter three, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple The Lord you're seeking will come to your temple. He will bring offering in righteousness. So 400 years later, John the Baptist enters the scene as the messenger. And then Jesus enters. Why did Jesus come? Because we all fall short of the glory of God. Why did Jesus come? Because we can't live this life the way God intends it without a Savior we need a Savior. Listen to me. We can't try harder. We can't work more. We can't get our priorities in place. Some of you are trying to live a better life without the author of life in your heart. And no, you're not worthy. And no, you're not righteous. That's why he says he brings the offerings of righteousness. In 2 Corinthians five twenty one. he says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Some of you are searching and you're looking and you want more to life. And you've heard this and you know God's supposed to be first, but you don't feel it. Worship is boring to you. Reading the Bible is dull. Praying is non-existent. That's because you're trying to do it without a savior. You're trying to do it without Jesus Christ in your heart, in the middle of your life. Now, some of you in the room, you just got your priorities wrong. Jesus is in your life, yes. But there's many of you, many of you who just grew up in church. You just stumbled in. But Jesus has never become a savior in your life. You can't do it without him. Everything I try to do on my own is worthless. All of my righteousness, it says, is like a filthy rag. But Jesus Christ takes my sin and makes it as white as snow. And that's what he wants to do for you today. Not because you're worthy. Because you can't do it without him. The Christian life is not just living a better life. It's living a better life through Jesus. So I want to invite you to step across that line of faith to say, yes, my priorities are not right because the Savior's not in my heart. And today, that world can change. And then giving and worshiping and serving and praying and caring for others comes from a different place, a place that is like a spring inside of us that never runs dry. Will you let me pray with that in mind? Father God, there are people right now that hear my voice that need you. God, they're tired of going through the same things. God, they're tired of failing over and over and over. God, they're tired of trying to live in a relationship with a spouse, and neither one of them are followers. God, they're tired of trying to raise children in a crazy world without the author of life speaking into them. God, they're trying to live a Christian life without the Savior in their hearts. And we pray right now, God, that you begin to reveal to them that it's not because they failed. God, it's not because they haven't tried hard enough. God, it's not because they're not good enough. It's because none of us are good enough. God, that we are all sinners saved by an incredible grace. And that grace comes by believing that you are the Son of God and that God has raised you from the dead and you are alive today to walk with us in this messed up world. If that is your prayer today, simply follow this word. Father God, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for my failings. Forgive me for how I've messed things up. Forgive me for how I've hurt people. Come into my heart right this minute, Father God. Save me. Help me belong to you. Make your righteousness mine in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You stand. We're going to sing. Please stay in the room. Thanks for joining us today. Our hope is that this message inspires you to encounter Jesus and find a better way to do life. We'd love to hear from you and get you connected on your journey. Visit theavenuechurch.com slash connect to get started. To hear the latest from us, don't forget to subscribe. See you soon.